troubled history. Okay. What global news has uncovered about the man charged with killing Burnaby RCMP Constable Shaylin Yang? Plus, breaking the dry spell. We haven't had moisture coming from the sky for a long, long time. Finally, the first real rainfall in months. How it's still not enough to end the South Coast drought. And BC's new premier designate. I'm humbled and a little bit overwhelmed uh, by this moment. David Eby's 100-day plan and how it all comes down to housing. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. We begin with exclusive details about the man charged in the killing of RCMP Constable Shaylin Yang. Zhang Wan Ham had been living in a tent in a Burnaby Park. But before that, he lived and worked in Toronto as an accomplished filmmaker. Rumina Dea has more on what someone close to the accused killer describes as a downward spiral. How did 37-year-old Zhang Wan Ham go from talented actor and Emmy Award-winning filmmaker to living in a tent in Burnaby, now charged with the first-degree murder of RCMP Constable Shailin Yang? An impressive resume of film and television work spanning nearly a decade. Ham, starring here in a Korean short film for which he won the Audience Choice Award in 2013. One of Ham's close friends tells us he's devastated. He says Ham was falsely accused of sex assault in Toronto years ago, and the strain of that investigation sent Ham to a dark place. A social media post on Ham's page saying, What's next? Entrapment? Global News has confirmed with police sources in B.C. and Ontario Ham was charged with sexual assault in Toronto in 2014. But it took three years before the charge was withdrawn. For Ham, catastrophic damage had been done. A mental health downward spiral ensued. Ham lost contact with friends and disappeared from social media four years ago. Somehow, he makes his way west. According to court documents, Ham was living in Vancouver near Kingsway and Knight Street. Ham was sharing penthouse number three with a roommate. Then in January of last year, a 911 call. Police confirmed the roommate was worried for his safety because of an alleged death threat. A neighbor tells us Ham was paranoid. He agrees to leave the building. A string of charges follows. Assault, resisting a police officer, and assault again in March of this year. In and out of jail, Ham now living in a tent, washing his socks in the fountain. He had been removed from the park, but was back. Another warning to leave coming down Tuesday, when Constable Yang is killed. A shocking fall from grace for a respected rising star. Ham's next appearance will be in a Vancouver courtroom November 2nd to deal with the murder charge. Romina Dea, Global News. And another procession has been held to honor RCMP Constable Shailen Yang. The motorcade started from Surrey at 2 this afternoon. Police vehicles making their way to Richmond, escorting Constable Yang's body to a funeral home. 
It is the fourth police procession since Constable Yang was killed in the line of duty on Tuesday. Police say the convoy is a way for partner agencies to honor the fallen officer and stand in solidarity with Burnaby RCMP. They are thanking the public for their patience during the traffic disruptions. Now to a brazen lower mainland homicide earlier this week near the UBC golf course. Arrests and charges have now been laid in connection with Monday's shooting. Jordan Armstrong joins us with more. Jordan? Sophie, the troubling trend of young men being involved in high-profile shootings continues. One of the accused here isn't even old enough to drink. He's just 18. The oldest of the three is 22. The victim, 38-year-old Vishal Walia, was gunned down in the parking lot of University Golf Club mid-Monday morning as dozens of golfers played nearby. Thankfully, no innocent bystanders were hurt. Minutes later, a vehicle seen leaving the golf course was found on fire near West 20th Avenue and Crown Street. Then a third scene as a different getaway vehicle, one police had been following, got into a crash with officers on Highway 91 at Westminster Highway in Richmond. Three men were arrested there, now charged with first-degree murder, are 18-year-old DeAndre Baptiste, 21-year-old Iqbal Kang, and 22-year-old Balraj Basra. The message to the public should be clear. This was another brazen daytime shooting, which IHIT has worked diligently and effectively to bring to charges. So what was the motive? At this point, police are not saying. We know the victim was a one-time UN gang associate. The three accused appeared in court this morning, and tonight they remain behind bars. Sophie? All right, thanks for that. Jordan Armstrong reporting live for us. And homicide investigators are looking into a man's murder in Langley today. The focus is on a house on 211 B Street near 77A Avenue. A white pickup truck is in the driveway with what appears to be multiple bullet holes in the driver's side window. Officers were called to the area at around 11 last night when they found a man who'd been shot. He died at the scene. Langley RCMP says the shooting does not appear to have been random. Shortly after the initial call, a Ford F-150 was found on fire near 232nd and 76th. Police are asking anyone who saw the truck or has dash cam footage of it to contact IHIT. A man caught on video going on a window smashing spree for the second time in downtown Vancouver will stay behind bars through the weekend until a bail hearing next week. But as Kristen Robinson reports, there are concerns the accused vandal will soon be back on the streets. They didn't do anything yet. For the second time in five weeks, 47-year-old Curtis George McCallum arrested and charged with mischief to property after a suspect was caught on video twice, smashing the windows of this TD bank on the edge of Gastown, causing tens of thousands of dollars in damage each time. These guys are antisocial. Business owner John Clarides started the Facebook group Vancouver Break-Ins and Crime Collective after his store was hit with similar vandalism. Our public safety is at risk, and this man should not be released at all. McCallum's criminal history dates back to 1992 in Edmonton, where in 2009 he was sentenced to nine years in prison for manslaughter and aggravated assault in the Christmas Eve 2006 killing of his aunt and the stabbing of her common-law husband. He needs to be incarcerated and uh, treated with uh, appropriately. September's TD tear caused an estimated $70,000 in destruction. The bill for Wednesday's smash-up expected to be higher, given at least 20 windows were hit. 
The Canadian Federation of Independent Business says it all adds up to more financial stress for members already facing rising inflation. And it's important to recognize that although businesses have insurance, they also need to pay that insurance as well. And definitely insurance costs are creeping up. All of it adds up that maybe perhaps some consumers may not realize uh, when it comes to these type of vandalisms. People are massively concerned about their public safety. Uh, we have to make our citizens safe, our businesses safe and productive so we can have a real healthy city. McCallum made a brief video appearance in downtown community court Friday and was remanded for a bail hearing Monday. Kristen Robinson, Global News. We are in the final hours of Variety Week and we have met some remarkable kids whose lives have changed because of the grants they have received from Variety. And when you call in tonight during the news hour, Buy Low Foods will be matching your donations up to $100,000. Currently, Variety is able to help 653 kids thanks to your donations. And by the end of tonight's news hour, we want to hit 800 kids. So add your name to the list you see on the bottom of your screen by calling 310-KIDS now. The Premier designates first priorities laid out. David Eby has outlined his plan for his first 100 days running this province. What he'll focus on and his response to speculation of an early election. That's next on the news hour. In first two months, they tortured me day and night, actually. Life and death in Evin, a BC man's horrifying ordeal in Iran's notorious prison and his fear for those who still remain behind bars. Also tonight, a close encounter underwater. What happened when an octopus got handsy with a BC diver? That's still to come. Right now, though, after a lot of drama and controversy, David Eby has officially won the BC NDP leadership race and is now set to become BC's next premier. He was acclaimed this morning and is already making big promises. Aaron MacArthur has more on Eby's transition to the premier's office. The leadership campaign may have fizzled out, but David Eby still trying to capitalize with a campaign-style event. The man set to become premier laid out his goals for the first 100 days of his new government. Housing, healthcare, climate and public safety all top of mind. EB looking to collaborate across sectors to achieve his goals. All of us together, that's the only way we can deal with these huge challenges we face. While he was focused on his first 100 days in office, David EB has considerably longer than that. There are no plans to go to the polls until the fall of 2024. I've been all over the province. I've met with many people both inside the NDP and outside. And I haven't heard a single person say that they are wanting an election right now. Pollsters say because there was no public leadership campaign, EB remains a bit of a mystery to voters. But unlike in Alberta and Manitoba, where unelected leaders are facing significant headwinds, BC's premier-designate likely has a long runway to establish himself and get out from under the shadow of John Horgan, who leaves office with an approval rating well above 50%. So you're not only coming in and essentially trying to establish your own brand, you're also supplanting somebody who was beloved in the last few months of his tenure. Political scientists say by foregoing an adversarial leadership campaign, the NDP chose stability and electability. One of the key questions will be how an EB government differs from the Horgan era. It'll be interesting to see his sort of premier style, whether he's the delegator uh, that, uh, that Horgan was, uh, that you know, he was a beneficiary of. 
David Eby will only become premier once John Horgan officially steps aside. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And what is the timeline for all of that? Keith Baldry is here with more on when we might see David Eby officially sworn in as premier and take that designate off the title. Keith? Yeah, a lot of work behind the scenes going on right now and really going to pick up the pace starting next week. So it's going to be a busy week next week. So David Eby will be here on Monday. Uh, he's going to meet his caucus in the afternoon, the first time as the leader of the party. So that will kick the week off. Also, we're going to be seeing a new, uh, new chief of staff and a new premier's deputy named at some point during the week. He's also going to be sit down and bury his head in a lot of books. He's going to get briefs on all the ministries. They've all put briefing books in uh, that are all arrived last week. So he's going to be very busy doing that. And in terms of swearing in, I'm told, look for the second week of November. That's a break in the legislature scheduled. November 7th is the day many mayors are being sworn in, so it's probably not that day. So look for David Eby to go to Government House on November 8th or 9th, perhaps even the 10th, and become BC's next premier formally. Right now he's premier-designate. John Horgan will remain premier until he's sworn in, so that's still a few days away. All right, thanks for that, Keith. Up next, going after handguns. So this will have absolutely no impact on crime whatsoever, none. Why critics say Ottawa's new firearms regulations won't work. Also ahead, a dramatic crash caught on surveillance video. Why police were already watching one of the vehicles. Canada's nationwide freeze on the sale, purchase and transfer of handguns has officially begun. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau making the announcement here in B.C. But as expected, critics say it will do little to keep guns out of the hands of criminals. Paul Johnson reports. Today, the Liberal government has chosen life over death. No surprise, Friday's announcement was meaningful for Surrey's Eileen Mohan. Her son Chris was shot and killed in 2007. Since then, gun violence has continued its horrific rise in Canada. And in places like the Lower Mainland, the spectacle of taped-off crime scenes is almost a weekly occurrence. What politician wouldn't try and do something about it? From today forward, it is no longer legal to buy, sell, or transfer a handgun in Canada. That means that those who already legally own handguns can keep them. But unless the rules change, it's a dead-end avocation. No new handguns will be available to replace old ones. But what's a major moral victory for handgun opponents appears as political posturing to others. In terms of how it impacts our business, it's similar to having a car dealership where the government suddenly bans the sale of V8s. Scott Carpenter and his family run international shooting supplies in Surrey, where a significant portion of their business has now ended, being part of the legal handgun-owning community, which in Canada is heavily restricted and monitored. People like Carpenter say the Liberal government has failed to make the connection between criminal gun violence and legal handguns. The onus is on the government to prove that banning handguns and taking them from me will produce a, a benefit to public safety. Rod Giltaka is with the Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights. He believes the vast majority of the guns used in shootings are obtained illegally, likely smuggled from the U.S. On that point, the Prime Minister's announcement did include new measures to beef up security at the border. But as 650,000 legal gun owners now lose some of their privileges, 
It's future crime stats that will confirm whether this was for the greater good or an opportunity for them to say, I told you so. By stopping us from using our property, it's not going to have any beneficial effect to public safety. And it is just done, in our opinion, just for political means. Paul Johnson, Global News. Two people have been sent to hospital after a violent crash in Surrey involving a stolen vehicle. Global News has obtained surveillance footage of the crash. It shows a car coming from the right of your screen at the intersection of 132 and 108. A darker gray car is proceeding on the green when it's hit by a Mercedes. Both vehicles spin out with the Mercedes wrapped around a pole. One minute and five seconds after the crash, the first unmarked police vehicles arrive on scene. Surrey RCMP say Air One had been monitoring the stolen vehicle. Police closed the intersection and the investigation continues. Up next on the News Hour, serving time in Avene. They, you know, tortured me by bats, by lashes, by teasers. A BC man's excruciating experience in Iran's notorious prison. Also ahead, the healing power of art. How a young girl is getting creative to overcome the mental and physical impacts of a rare condition. A deadly fire in one of Iran's most notorious prisons has brought back unwanted memories for a Vancouver man who knows all too well the perilous existence of the people who are incarcerated there. Negar Moshtahedi has our exclusive interview. A massive fire at Iran's notorious Evin prison. Flames breaking out on October 15th. A prison siren wails. And gunshots are heard. The regime reporting at least eight inmates are dead. But that number could be much higher. It brings Vancouver resident Saeed Malikpour back to when he was imprisoned there, escaping a death sentence in Iran. Malikpour was living in Victoria, writing open source software in Farsi. Unbeknownst to him, someone else used the software for a pornographic site. While visiting his dying father in Iran in 2008, he was picked up off the street and spent 11 years in Evin prison. When they arrested me, they put me in solitary confinement for uh, more than two years. In first two months, they tortured me day and night. They, you know, tortured me by bats, by lashes, by teasers. And, you know, the worst part was not physically tortures. They were, uh, they, they did some psychologically tortures. You know, they told me that we arrested your sister, your wife, your you know, mother. Malikpour's sources in Iran have told him the prisoners he knew are alive but injured. I'm very sad, actually. I had lots of friends over there, so I was worried about them. Most of them have bullet in their body, you know. They are not in good condition. Evin is no ordinary prison. Many of Iran's best and brightest have been detained there, and many of the protesters arrested this past month are also being held there. There are journalists there. There are human rights lawyers there. Jafar Panahi and Mohammad Rasulov, who are, you know, internationally acclaimed filmmakers, they're in there. State media says that the fire broke out in a warehouse sparked by prisoners, but dissidents believe the Islamic Republic intentionally started the fire. While the cause of the fire is not clear, it potentially raises the stakes for protesters, and there is no doubt about the symbolism of the regime's most identifiable structure representing repression being set ablaze. Of course that was the government. Uh, you know, prisoners doesn't have anything to, you know, to fire. If you are in the cell and you don't have any place to go, 
you don't fire your place actually because you are dying over there. You don't have any matches over there. How can they make fire? Of course, the government did. Nagar Moshahedi, Global News. Vancouver Coastal Health is launching the next phase of its monkeypox vaccination campaign. Second doses are being offered at a pop-up clinic set up at SFU Harbour Centre. First doses are also available. The health authority is working in partnership with Health Initiatives for Men, a non-profit for gay men and gender diverse people, given monkeypox is disproportionately affecting that community. In the coming weeks, more pop-up clinics will roll out at bars, public spaces and bathhouses. Officials say getting a second dose is critical. So we know that one dose offers some limited protection, but we really need a second dose to have that longer lasting, stronger protection against the monkeypox virus, which really helps people. You know, monkeypox um, is very uncomfortable. It causes rash, soreness, sores. You know, it's really uh, painful for people. And so we want people to have their, this protection so that they don't have to go through that. The Harbour Centre pop-up is open Thursday to Sunday for the next six weeks and appointments can be booked online. Nearly 16,000 first doses have been administered in Vancouver so far. Well, living with mobility challenges can affect the body and the soul. 13-year-old Anna knows that all too well. When her condition impacted her physically and mentally, Variety stepped in to help on both fronts. I've been told I'm not supposed to jump on trampolines or like jump on my bed. I haven't jumped on a trampoline. My bed is a different story though. 13 year old Anna has a rare inherited birth defect that prevents her body from breaking down sugar. The sugar builds up in her body and causes a variety of problems including bone and joint issues. At one point the blood stopped going to my hips and so they started like the cells started dying. Functionally, Anna couldn't bend, she couldn't squat, she couldn't cross her legs, she couldn't crisscross applesauce. Basically anything hip related, think that she moved more like a 90 year old person than a 10, 11 year old person. She did start to feel a little self-conscious about the way that she was walking and the way that she was running. Um, by the time we kind of figured out that something was going on, it was quite noticeable. Um, that she wasn't running or walking in a normal way. Anna started to feel insecure and depressed, and the pandemic created an extra layer of isolation and anxiety. Debbie knew Anna needed help, but didn't know where to turn. At the time, I didn't have any extended health benefits. Um, counseling was basically go on the ministry, three-year waiting list and hope that in three years, you know, she hasn't killed herself or something like that. So is high school what you expected it to be? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Getting With a grant from Variety, Anna started seeing an art therapist who's been working with Anna to help her express herself and build her self-confidence. I think art therapy was a great fit for Anna because she's such a creative and expressive person as well as she was really struggling with anxiety and uh, emotion and had a lot of emotional dysregulation. It's helped to get a lot of my problems out. I definitely like talking about it. Painting is fun, but talking about it helps a lot more. Your donations to Variety have given Anna the tools she needed to thrive. If I didn't have Variety, I don't think I would be walking. And I definitely don't think I would be running.
so there'd be a lot of problems both mentally and physically. And I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have a lot of freedom. There's no way that I would have been able to do this on my own and give her what she really needs. Um, and I don't really want to think about where she might be um, if this didn't happen. So um, it's just, it's been life changing. Like it's, she's back, she's, my Anna's back. <laughs> It's so great to hear. If you would like to support a child who needs specialized therapies like Anna, then call 310 Kids now or go online to variety.bc.ca. And don't forget, your donation tonight will be doubled up to $100,000. Thank you to Bilo Foods for that. We want to be able to help 800 kids by the end of the news hour tonight. You have half an hour left, so please donate now. Still ahead, a curious creature caught on camera. This octopus wouldn't leave me alone, and you can see in the video I'm just backing away from it, and it's just coming towards me. A BC diver's very close encounter coming up. Plus, that's more like it. Gray skies and wet weather. Why we'll need a lot more of this to get past our drought. A rare sight in Metro Vancouver and southwestern BC today, people smiling in the rain. The precipitation coming as a relief from the extended dry spell that's put this region at drought level five. Sarah McDonald tells us what the rain means for that drought and for the air quality. It was a sight for sore eyes and a parched ecosystem Friday morning. Rain finally falling across the south coast for the first time in weeks. It was nice to see the rain. It'd be nice to have some more rain right now, actually. It's kind of something you got to expect when you're living in uh, rain Vancouver, I guess. And we needed it. Friday was the wettest day in parts of Metro Vancouver since Labor Day long weekend, after a dry summer created drought-like conditions in early July, which still persists, with many regions now reaching drought level five, the highest in the province. We're still well below what we should typically see. In a three-month period, we've only picked up close to 20 millimeters. We should typically see over 200 millimeters of rain. The Sunshine Coast remains in the midst of a water crisis and under a local state of emergency with unprecedented water restrictions in place since Tuesday. And Friday's precipitation won't be enough to make an impact. I mean, I've enjoyed the weather, but I'm also um, concerned about the, the dryness and the trees and the, all the plants, the water. We, need, we needed it. The good news. Our reservoir levels are still considered within normal range. And the same weather system bringing the rain is clearing the air. Look at the difference in air quality in a 24-hour period from Thursday to Friday. With extreme weather and climate events happening at an increasing pace, we don't want to see all that overdue rain arrive in high concentrations, like the atmospheric river that caused flooding and severe structural damage last November. I'm not built for the heat, so <laughs> I very much miss the rain for sure. And I know it's very important. I know there'll be some consequences of no rain, so great that we have it back. This latest bout of rain, though, seemed to dry up almost as quickly as it fell. Keep it coming. With much more where it came from, expect it on Sunday. Sarah McDonald, Global News.
And for more details on that, let's bring in meteorologist uh, Christy, Yvonne Shell, who's in for Christy Gordon tonight, Yvonne. So the rain was brief today, but it was much needed. We've got another weather maker. More of a soaker is on the way for the latter half of the long weekend, and I'll have that coming up in just a moment. And if you're traveling along the mountain passes, we're still talking snow. There's still a wave of moisture. We're seeing it mostly across the island along the southern tip for areas near Victoria. We could still see some isolated showers towards the east end. That's extending in towards the Fraser Valley, but it's a break that we'll be tracking, and that's what we're going to be seeing as we lead in towards our weekend. A uh, quick reminder, though, we've got some wet snowfall. It was the first snowfall of the season for higher elevations, especially near the summit. This is a shot, or this is a current shot from the Drive BC cam from the Okanagan connector, and this is just near the Penasque summit. And we're continuing to see that. So if you're traveling along the mountain passes, a big heads up. Special weather statement has been issued. We can see that for all areas along the mountain passes, higher elevations near the summit. We'll still see the potential for some snow or wet snowfall continuing in towards our Saturday night. Now we've got a bit of a break towards the weekend. It'll be isolated showers, but then the next weather maker is going to move in. This will be for Sunday night. Keep that in mind. It'll be rain heavy at times and continuing to take us in towards our Monday, Tuesday, five and potentially up to 15 millimeters. Today we only saw anywhere between two, potentially up to six millimeters. So we are anticipating more rain on the way and then unsettled in towards our Monday, Tuesday and potentially towards our Wednesday. An improvement for the air quality as well as our fire danger raining, but still a reminder for the northeastern corners of the province. We're still sitting at extreme and many areas across the island hovering between moderate to high. So please be very diligent. Now the northern half of the province will see a break on the way as we get in towards the afternoon. Still a bit more cloud cover much of the southern interior. It's the southeastern corners. Isolated shower along the island. We will see a few isolated showers cooler through the day tomorrow. Lower mainland, very similar. We are going to see that next round of rain for Sunday night, taking us in towards our Monday so far and soggy leading in towards next week. Tonight's weather window, a great shot that was captured along the water from Davis Bay from Debbie. So looks great. Thank you, Yvonne. Well, even for a veteran diver, it was an incredible up close and personal experience. Kylie Stanton has the story of a BC woman who captured the encounter of a lifetime on video. First the suit, then the tank, and of course, all the checks. It's a bit of a process, and Andrea Humphreys has it mastered. I've been diving for, I think, 12 years now, and I have over 675 dives. Every single time, it's been a chance to enter a new world and see something different. But Humphreys never expected to be welcomed with open arms, or more accurately, eight of them. Epic. That's just what I keep saying. One word, epic. Just unbelievable. See its eye right there. Humphreys captured this video while diving with friends near Campbell River over the weekend. They were hoping to see a great Pacific octopus. Within probably two minutes, there's an octopus right there sitting in the kelp out in the open. The creature briefly explored the other divers before making its way over to Humphreys, where it stayed for 40 minutes. You can kind of hear my enthusiasm in the video, me shrieking and screaming, and uh, I was just like, I was so incredibly excited. It was just unbelievable. I'm diving for so long and never have had an encounter like this. To say it was up close and personal would be an understatement. Playing with the lights and the buttons on my camera actually changed the light setting. The octopus crawled up onto Humphrey's mask, its suckers making contact with her exposed skin. Based on the octopod's color that indicated it was simply curious, she kept calm 
and kept filming. Having footage like this, you can see inside like the suckers and the tentacles, and you can't quite see that beak, but you know that beak's right in there somewhere hiding. So it was such a cool experience that I had to share it. More importantly, she can look back on it and relive the experience. So lucky. And you just never know what the next dive might have in store. Just keep going. Every diving experience is a new experience and you got to be open and accepting and just enjoy what you see down there because it's incredible. Kylie Stanton, Global News. It had octopus hands. <laughs> Are there such things? Well, isn't that the thing when you get a little, a little handsy? Isn't that what you Octopus, saying? yeah, I guess you could say that, yeah. I don't know. And then when you can't catch something very well, they always say, what do you have, alligator arms? See, there you go. When I played Learning baseball, and you played wild... baseball, I missed it. That was what they always said. What do you got, alligator bar? It's wild alligator. kingdom here on the news hour. Anyway. What's going on, Squire? So a, a lot of people are upset that the Vancouver Canucks haven't won a game yet, right? Mrs. Boudreaux was more upset that Mr. Boudreaux hasn't been shaving. That my wife gave me crap about that last <laughs> night. <laughs> so she said, I never want to see you on TV without shaving. <laughs> Is that his impression of his wife? I, I guess so. <laughs> Apparently they ha he has more stubble than the Canucks have wins. We'll talk about that after this. <laughs> well, that's true. And later, Squire does double duty. Satellite debris still to come. Hi. How you doing? Uh, I'm good, thanks. Good. I don't know. It feels like a long week. Really? And I've only been here for four of the five days, so. Wow. Who, you know I what? Know. You need I a need weekend. A I need you a weekend. You need a couple of days off. Well, you know what? Coincidentally, there's one starting tomorrow. Oh, wow, that is good. That's, your timing's impeccable, really. The, uh, I noticed Chris didn't show up today, though. That's up true. with that. Uh, the BC Lions are in Edmonton tonight to take on the Elks. Lions on the verge of clinching second place in the West. It's the second to last regular season game for BC. Lions are favored to win here. They've beaten the Elks badly this year, 59-15-46-14. Mind you, that's when they had Nathan Rourke. Tonight, it's maybe not as efficient an offense with Vernon Adams running the show, but uh, just the same, Edmonton has not won at home all year. In fact, this is bizarre, they haven't won at home since 2019. Hmm. Well, let's see if the Canucks can win at home tomorrow. I don't think anybody would have thought, predicted, or bet that the Vancouver Canucks would be the last team to not have a win in the NHL this season. But right now, with their first home game tomorrow against Buffalo, the Canucks have a zero in the W column. That road trip that started the season was a tale of blown leads, subpar special teams, getting too cutesy at times with the puck, lackadaisical defense, and unfortunately... Neither Thatcher Demko or Spencer Martin being able to bail them out with huge saves. The only thing that did go right was they got two points in their last two games by losing in overtime. But that's really not making any of them feel any better. Kaprizov at the side. Demko to save. Kaprizov again. Puck was bouncing. Now he scores. Well, say this about the Canucks. They're consistent. Five times they've led games this season. Five times they've surrendered that lead, leaving them as the only team in the NHL without a win. At least the last two games went to overtime where they got a loser point, and they insist they've deserved better, especially these last few games. We just went through a lot of clips of the last game, and there's so many positives that it's a process that we're 
if we keep doing the right things. It's a little confidence factor in the third period, and I think if we can uh, you get the one, the one successful win, I think that'll turn a lot of stuff around. You know, we have a ton of belief. It's upbeat in there. We're excited to play tomorrow. We're excited to be home. It's not down. You know, there's moments of the road trip that we're pressing, no, no question, but you know, it's going to make us stronger at the end of the day, and I think it's important that we go through, and you know, guys that haven't been in the NHL and been in a situation to, to go through a situation like that, and we learn from it. We talk about it, we learn from it, and you know, I think at the end of the day, it's going to make us a more mentally tough team you know, later in the year. The Canucks haven't had problems scoring goals and building leads, but a bad penalty kill and poor defending has played a large role in all of those leads disappearing. They feel they're starting to defend better, but it's definitely a work in progress. Defending wins and, and defending wins championships and uh, that starts with taking care of the puck when you have it at, at the lines and on the boards and, and that's uh, taking care of the front of your net and winning battles in the corner and it's one thing that you know we need to get a lot better at. It's happier in there than I think the outside world thinks and I know our record is not where we want it to be but at the same time it's just a long season and uh, we're doing a lot of good things right now and we just need to build off that you know going into the tough schedule at home here. While Bruce Boudreau patiently waits for his 600th career NHL coaching win, one thing can't wait, that stubble on the head coach's face the past few games. My wife gave me crap about that last night. <laughs> so she said, I never want to see you on TV without shaving, so i got to wait to get home tonight. He's in trouble. Yep. Okay, so we have some sad news from the Vancouver Whitecats. Former player Masato Kudo died at the age of 32 after complications set in following brain surgery earlier this month. He played four games for the Japanese national team and one year for the Vancouver Whitecaps. He was a forward during the 2016 season. This is one of the two goals he scored for Vancouver that year. He left after his only season here in Vancouver to go back home to Japan. Well, the Toronto Blue Jays have given manager John Schneider a new three-year contract after he took over from Charlie Montoyo on July 13th, and he led the Blue Jays to a playoff spot. In fact, they were 46-28 and 28 under Schneider, who was part of Montoyo's coaching staff before moving up to the big chair. He, at one time in his career, was manager of the Vancouver Canadiens. He's the Blue Jays' 14th field manager, and next season he'll be expected not just to get them to the playoffs, but to get them beyond the first round of the playoffs, which hasn't happened in six years. All right. The Seattle Seahawks are 3-3. Three three. They have a game Sunday in L.A. against the Chargers, and not many thought the Hawks would be 500 after six games. Geno Smith has been the biggest surprise for Pete Carroll's team, way better than any of us thought he would be. But what would have made Seattle's record even better than 3-3 three three is if its defense started strong at the beginning of the season. It finally did play a solid game last week, six sacks and a 19-9 win over Arizona. There wasn't like a heroic performance by anybody. Yeah, our guys played like they're capable. We spread the sacks around. It wasn't one guy that led the charge. Everybody did it. Uh, and, and the guys on the back end did a nice job keeping everything in front of us and, and, and challenging stuff. So we're just going to start building on it and see if we can, you know, if, it, if it's obvious or not. We'll try to make that obvious. Okay, there you go. Okay, thank you. Well, satellite debris is next. That's true. Stay at the desk. I, oh, you want me to... Jordan Armstrong standing by with a look ahead at what's coming up tonight at 11. Jordan? Sophie, Doug McCallum has conceded defeat again, if you're keeping track. This is the third time he's done that in six days. He now says he won't pursue a recount. McCallum lost the Surrey mayor's chair to Brenda Locke by 
973 votes. Plus, rebuilding from the ashes. We were in Monty Lake today as a couple burned out of their home by a wildfire last summer returned to their property. Tonight they have a beautiful new home, all free of charge, thanks to volunteers. At 11, we'll tell you why they still feel let down, though, by the government. Sophie. Glad to see their new home, though. All right, thanks for that, Jordan. Uh, yeah, it's Friday. We did it. We did it. We got here, and you're almost you're almost <laughs> at the weekend. And I couldn't stay at the desk with you because apparently it wasn't aesthetically pleasing. No, I was wrong. I got excited because you got to sit up here. I know. I thought it was great, and then I got banished. Okay. You notice Chris and I are moving a little bit closer together. Did you notice that? What? Well, this week? Yeah. Yeah, I did actually. I didn't want to say anything, but you're right. We're, I did. We're trying it out. Okay, okay. satellite debris time. All right, let's begin. Um, first off, I guess uh, Thanksgiving down in the States and then Christmas after that. So if you're in America, there's a lot of big dinners coming up and ocean spray may be part of it. Some of those. Too much happening there. <laughs> Homemade cranberry sauce has nothing on the. No, apparently not. And it's still, when it comes out of the can and it still has the lines from the can. Oh, yeah. That actually adds flavor to it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. How about talking cats and dogs? You like talking cats and dogs. I do. There you go. Right. Shall I pop the kettle on? Oh, yeah. Go on. Nice cup of tea. What a day. It's raining. Oh, what's the phrase? Raining chaps and gals, obviously. <sighs> it's all right for you. I've got to take a walk in that later. Well, it's your own fault. Mm? She thinks you want to. You're always wagging your tail. Look! But it's the tea. It has that effect on me. Our perfect blends will get anyone talking. Tetley, now we're talking. And with accents. Too. I know, I didn't realise cats and dogs had English accents. <laughs> OK, I've run this one a few times because I like it. It makes you feel good. It's from a few years ago. It's from Android. It has animals as well. They do fun things, but they don't talk. Here we go. Robin Hood and Little John walking through the forest, laughing back and forth at what the other has to say. Reminiscing this and that and having such a good time. Oodle lolly, oodle lolly, golly, what a day. Never ever thinking there was danger in the water they were drinking, they just guzzled it down. Never dreaming that a scheming sheriff and his posse was a watching them and gathering around. Robin Hood and Little John running through the forest, jumping fences, dodging trees, and trying to get away. 
contemplating nothing but escaping, finally making it oodle lolly, oodle lolly, golly, what a day. Oodle lolly, oodle lolly, golly, what a day. There you go. That's the there is no, there is no cranberry sauce induced wiggling in that commercial, but there was some fun stuff. Which is probably for the best. <laughs> all right, uh, an update. We asked and you came through BC because of your donations all through Variety Week. The Children's Charity will be able to help 831 more kids with more than $2 million raised. Thank you so much. The phone lines will stay open throughout the weekend. So if you still want to donate but haven't yet, you can do so at 310kids or variety.bc.ca. Well done. Thanks to all the businesses who stepped up with donations as well. All right, Yvonne, uh, we've got a little bit of rain and more on the way. Yeah, we got a little bit of an appetizer today, but it is going to pick up later on in the weekend. So far, a great start on Saturday, a bit breezy at times. And then on Sunday, it's late day leading in towards our one day, Monday, rather, the next round of rain. Today was just enough to wet our appetite. Absolutely. That's nice good. one, though. Nice That's one. Very good. That's very good. All right. <laughs> on that note, bye-bye. <laughs> Have a good weekend. <laughs>Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.